telehealth has changed from not really existing and not being allowed in many of the tri-state areas to being the only way a patient could see a provider. Hi, and welcome back to Patiently Connecting. I'm Tech Amy, and I'm your host and tech specialist here at GHLF. In this episode, we will talk about insurance and how the integration of telehealth has transpired since the start of the pandemic. With me today, I have two fabulous guests. The first is Maria Forgione. She's a professional medical biller and has her own practice called BillingCodingConcepts.com. We also are joined by our own Stephen Newmark, who is the Director of Policy and General Counsel here at GHLF. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. Over the course of the pandemic, we shifted to telehealth kind of unexpectedly. Tell us a little bit about the course of what's happened over the year and what the biggest changes are between in-person appointments and telehealth appointments. So we changed very quickly, like overnight in um, Connecticut, specifically Connecticut in the tri-state area, from in-person visits to telehealth visits. So we have to remember that patients don't always have uh, the set age of, of people being in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. They range from children to senior citizens. Um, so people, older people don't understand telehealth. And a good example um, of the change was my mom. She's a senior citizen. And the doctor said, I will send you a link and you could see me on the computer. She was like, how are you going to see me on the computer? How are you going to send me a link? So I had to sit and explain to her, he's going to email you a link, which you could click on, and then you can see him and he will be able to bill your insurance. And she didn't understand how he could treat her that way. So the insurance totally did a 360. So providers had to adapt and get platforms like DoxyMe or Zoom or use their software package to send these links to patients. They also had to learn different ways of coding, like Stephen says, and use different codes and modifiers. And modifiers are just special letters that go after the codes uh, so the insurances can reimburse the providers. And patients had to learn that how to utilize electronics in a different way. You know, it wasn't necessarily just for Candy Crush, Facebook, and watching the news. It was really their ticket and their only pathway to see their providers. Um, Telehealth has changed from not really existing and not being allowed in many of the tri-state areas to being the only way a patient could see a provider. And it does have advantages and disadvantages. It gives patients more access to care. It also has disadvantages, like if you have a pediatric patient or a patient, um, someone who can't explain verbally what's wrong with them. And senior citizens and people of socioeconomic differences don't always have access to electronics. So it, it did create some stop gaps for patients, but it also helped some patients to get the care that they were able to or need to get. Yeah, a lot of uh, insightful points there. Stephen, what do you think are the major differences between in-person healthcare and telehealth right now? Sure. You know, as Maria alluded to, it was a real learning curve uh, for both doctors and for patients. And, you know, thankfully, there were organizations like like GHLF that, that, were, that were there to help support patients, as well as doctors and getting patients up to speed. We have a, a whole host of resources on our website, ghlf.org, to help patients understand what telehealth is, how to prepare for a telehealth appointment and the major differences. You know, checking to make sure your technology is working, 
before you get to the appointment, uh, trying to understand what, um, what it is you need to convey. The difference is between in-person versus uh, not in-person. There are certain patient visits that, that simply cannot be done by a telehealth. There are times when a doctor actually needs to see you, but there are a fair amount, particularly you know, with chronically ill patients, which is our community, where it's more of a check-in to see how things are going, to keep the uh, continuity of care going. And telehealth really filled that void and continues to fill that void during the pandemic. And um, for better, I would say, I would, not, not for better or worse, but for better, telehealth is likely here to stay. When um, we first went into the pandemic over a year ago, it was a little bit like the Wild West in terms of the telehealth. You know, telehealth had been around for, for quite some time. In fact, it started as uh, literally the word tele, it started as telephone. Um, and, um, but it, it certainly was not used and it wasn't as almost mandatory, if you will, in the way it was um, in the early days of, of the pandemic um, and it really provided a lifeline. Um, in terms of insurance, you were asking about insurance. It, it is a little bit of the Wild West, or it was uh, a year ago. What was being reimbursed? What wasn't? Were they being considered at par with in-person visits? Um, but thankfully, a lot of that has been remedied over the past year. There were issues that you know a, a, a physician registered uh, license to practice in New York, for example, if they were if they were dealing with a patient who then. Um, left New York to, to be in New Jersey or, or Florida or what, what have you, they were, were they considered to be practicing across state lines? There were a lot of times when they were not allowed to practice across state lines. There were times when they can get a waiver, but it was a procedural hurdle that doctors had to fulfill. Uh, thankfully, most jurisdictions have made it easier to get that temporary hurdle to deal with patients, but that was you know something that doctors were dealing with early on in the pandemic. I totally understand how frustrating it is that it seems like you have your doctor in your pocket on your phone and it isn't quite that simple. Right. Like, for example, I have um, an abundance of mental health providers in my practice of billing and coding. And um, if you're on the Connecticut, Massachusetts state line, like in East Canaan, Connecticut, it's literally a five minute drive to Massachusetts. So a couple of my patients or the provider's patients don't have a problem coming to Connecticut for services. So what happened during the pandemic was, like Stephen said, we had to get special riders and permissions and waivers for these patients or these practices that have out-of-state patients. And especially, you want to make sure that those, in essence, stay in place should the pandemic pop up again for the specific patients, especially in situations like chronic care, uh, chronic illness and mental health, because we don't want to have a stopgap to care just because literally you could be standing on two states in one moment, you know, be on Connecticut, Massachusetts line. But we also have to remember that the states, each state runs their Department of Health and has the, the you know, Stephen, you might be using the wrong terms, but they mandate or make the rules for the states to function and regulate the providers. And also, like, if you have a Massachusetts-based plan, Medicaid, um, we cannot take that in Connecticut. It's it's a Massachusetts or New York-based plan insurance, and so a Connecticut provider cannot take it. And some of the programs, like Blue Cross, is also starting to do that. And I don't know if the federal government's going to get involved in that because it's supposed to be a national plan, uh, Blue Cross or Anthem, and you're supposed to be able to cross state borders. But I know Medicaid, it's by state. And that's, I think, in essence, why the Department of Public Health have set things up that way and to keep 
like Stephen said, providers from Montana doing video visits or telehealth, as we're talking about, for patients in Connecticut. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. You can also follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any questions or want to reach out, please don't hesitate to email me at afinkelstein at ghlf.org. And thank you for patiently connecting.